It's May 27th, 2021, and we're talking to Evil Genius's head coach, Peter Dunn, about MSI, Evil Genius's mid-season roster changes, and North American talent development. This is the True Sight Podcast. Welcome to the True Sight Podcast by Oracle's Elixir, your source for in-depth analytical coverage of professional League of Legends and the rest of the esports world. I'm Tim Magic Sevenhusen, and today we have Peter Dunn, the head coach of Evil Geniuses, returning to the show. Last time you were on is episode 15, and now we're in episode 33, so it's been a little while. How are you doing? Hello. Good morning, Tim. I'm doing pretty well. Uh, looking forward to discussing a lot of interesting topics. Yeah. It's been and- an interesting off-season, though. It, it definitely has. I think um, the mid-season can go a lot of different directions. It can be very busy. It can be very quiet. I think we've had a, a pretty interesting one. Uh, I'm not sure if all of the dust has settled yet. There might still be a couple of things that we haven't heard about um, around all, you know the various leagues. I know there's still a lot of news coming out in the LPL, but there's been some stuff in the LCS for sure. Um, but before we jump into all of that, I think it would be good to just take a few minutes to get your thoughts on MSI, which, you know, just wrapped up last week. And I think the world moves on from it pretty quickly. But, uh, you know, I do think it was a really interesting tournament and uh, it'd be cool to get get a chance to hear a little bit from you on that. So um, we'll, we'll spend the bulk of the show talking about EG type stuff and getting, you know, allowing you to talk about your players and, and the plans that you guys are working towards and all of that. But, but on the topic of MSI, you know, I think one thing I'd love to hear from you is is how high you think the level of play was at this tournament. How how I guess as a coach, how entertained were you by what you were seeing in that sense? So I guess it's not quite the same thing, but sure. So it's a bit complicated. Uh, I think that basically this MSI is probably one of the fastest pace metas we've seen going into an international tournament before. And naturally, the faster the game is being played, the more variance there is because the more you have to flip. Um, and when we say flip, we don't mean 50-50 flip, right? But there's a, if you want to push the pace of the game, you have to play 70-30 flips uh, versus you know 95-5% flips. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is something we saw especially amongst the top teams um, where people were playing on the edge and sometimes you play on the edge and you go past the edge, right? Uh, and uh, this is something Mad Lions and even Damwon are, are not are, are teams that are not afraid to try to flip the game on early game plays. Uh, it's interesting because this is the first MSI for a long time where China has been the slowest paced team. Yeah. RNG with the slowest paced team at this tournament. And I don't think I've, I, I can ever recall that happening before in the past. Um, yeah, it was, but, it was definitely one of the really interesting stories of this tournament that RNG came in and, and people who don't watch LPL, which generally includes me because I just don't have time to cover it all. But you you have this stereotype of the Chinese team as the one that fights all the time and just, you know, wants to play with all this all this aggression. And RNG came in as the side lane team and the macro team and the setup yeah. team. And it's like, oh, so now what? What do we think? How do we approach that? Yeah, I mean, it was also kind of a miracle that they managed to they managed to qualify. They got destroyed in the upper bracket by FunPlus Phoenix. Everyone thought that FunPlus Phoenix were going to go. I thought FunPlus Phoenix were going to go. They had two really close series. I can't remember if they were both 3-2, but I remember them both being really close found their way to the final and just clutched it on the day, which was a shock to a lot of people. Um, yeah, um, I think it's also worth saying that a lot of these uh, emerging region teams now have become a lot more solid in their mid to late game. Uh, and the way that the jungle meta shaped up in Spring Split, and I think Riot have adjusted this a little bit, maybe we can talk about that later, um, is that it punishes any individual mistakes 
very, very highly, right? So you have a default way of playing the game, which is you just farm, you just perma farm. Um, but every single time you choose to gank, you have to give up something, right? You have to yeah. give up a camp, you have to give up leveling a camp. Uh, and that makes any kind of um, aggression or proactivity higher risk than it would usually be. Um, so you wouldn't see, you didn't see that many um, three, three and a half ganks into, you know, level three ganks or like cheese ganks early, uh, simply because you're giving up a, a lot to be able to do this. And the higher, um, the higher place teams are able to give up camps at the right time in order to be able to punish. Mm -hmm. uh, but this means that every single time you make a mistake, you give the enemy team a huge amount. You know, like well, you can argue that Cloud9 lost their first game against Damwon Kia, the first game of the tournament, simply on the first scuttle. Um, yeah. And, um, and yeah, uh, it's just that teams have gotten better. Teams are playing much faster. And so there's more mistakes and teams know how to close better if you give them too much of a lead early. Yeah, and and I think the the amount of the amount of you know underperformance that needs to happen for something to be considered a mistake is also bigger, right? To extend that point, yeah. like like the 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 level of mistake you need to make in order to not be able to secure the crab you wanted to secure is pretty minimal. Like you have to clear a little bit slow, or you have to misread the timing on your wave being pushed, like. Like the the classic, you know, the one everybody's going to remember for a long time, Blabber, you know, flashing in on that crab and dying, comes down to they misunderstood what at what timing the top wave would be ready yeah. for Fudge to have Pryo and join and fight for that crab. And since they misunderstood that by only a few seconds, Blabber was suddenly put in a bad spot. He doubled down that mistake and it got worse. But like the, yeah, like that's, a, it was actually a really, really small mistake of understanding that turned into something so huge. So yeah. I do think that was pretty fascinating. And I think that all of this definitely led into a tournament that to me felt like you could characterize it pretty easily as every team feeling inconsistent. Although I think that's not really necessarily appropriate way to describe it, but it, it felt like every team could one day look incredible and the next day look like, what are they doing? And I, you know, I think that probably just comes down to what you're talking about. Where the game itself was, had a lot of variance built into it. Sure. But it's worth saying that, you know, you look at a team like Damwon and in LCK, Damwon did have, you know, messed up early games mm -hmm. sometimes where, where they would just yeah. mess up something, but they could just team fight their way out of it. Yeah. You know, da Damwon could team fight you from 3k goal down in yeah. LCK and they're comp. still going to crush you <laughs> with a bad comp and they're still going to crush you. But you do that, you try to do that against RNG or Mad Lions and you're just going to get, you're just going to lose. Um, and that's what, that's kind of what we saw happen uh, a bit at this tournament. And, you know, Beryl, this isn't the Tabero was highlighted as somebody who is a bit of a weak point at that one, but this is his job on the team. His job yeah. is to force things and to make things happen. And teams were just better at punishing when he went in at the wrong time. I mean, you look at that team, who else is who else is the one who's primary engaged? It's not Khan. So and Showmaker and Canyon are there to, to clean up. So Beryl is the guy who has to take those risks. And sometimes you risk too much and you get punished. How would you react to my characterization that I put there out there a couple of times? That Barrel was basically the Korean version of 2020 Hillisang. Yes? No? Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> actually, actually, very, very fair. Um, but the thing is that you look at Damwon's record in Korea, and it's so easy to think, to wow, look at look at how much they're dominating LCK. LCK has historically been this really, really strong region, and they didn't dominate as much as people think. They, they, they had. So many games that they should have lost um and yeah uh, it's just it's probably good for damwon as well that that they were punished like this because it will mean that they'll go back and they'll rethink um 
uh, some things, and we'll, I'm sure we'll see a very strong Dan one coming into Worlds. Like, I cannot imagine a world where Dan one are not top eight, probably top yeah. four in Worlds. So, we'll yeah, and I, I think some of that that conception of Dan one comes from the 2020 summer, right? Where that was true of them. They really did dominate yeah. the whole league that way, right? And then you come into spring, and if you didn't actually watch, you go, okay, it wasn't quite the same, right? The mm-hmm. the roster change in top lane and all of that. Um, on on the on the cloud nine front. Do you feel that they finished where they deserve to finish? Were they a very clear fifth place team? Like, how how do you think they stacked up against the competition overall? Because I think it's easy to have a conception of either like they were really badly outclassed and they were fifth by far, or there might be some group of people that thinks oh, they could have finished second or third if a few more things had worked out. Um, Cloud Nine, basically, the 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 reason Cloud Nine were did poorly at MSI is they didn't work out how they wanted to play the game. Um, it's just really, really clear. You look at how Fudge and Blabber were playing together when they're playing for priority, when they're when they're choosing to go for certain objectives on certain sides of the map. I don't want to give too much because I think we played Cloud9 reasonably early in the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but basically, they whereas you look at teams like Mad Lions who started inconsistently at the start of the tournament but worked out what they needed to do to win, mm-hmm. um, Cloud9 never worked it out. Like Cloud, you looked at Cloud9 and sometimes they're playing their you know, Lulu Cogmore, you know, for for hyper carry comp. Sometimes they're playing um, Kindred mid. Sometimes you know, they're, they're, sometimes they're playing all of these picks, which individually can be can be good uh, in the right context. But they didn't develop a number one style, or or they didn't. Rec- in my opinion, they didn't like. They had a clear way that they could win the game, which is whenever they camp for top, basically they kind of won. Um, and they they got a lot of really good um, wins in the tournament by playing properly around Fudge uh, and using that to snowball snowball the game. And that's why a lot of the abiding memories of of this MSI are Fudge, you know, smashing the game um, on his Lee Sin or his Venecton or something, um, because they played around top properly uh, in a way that allowed him to function inside the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of their losses uh, were simply situations where they were trying to do something else and that never seemed to work. So I think they tried to do too much uh, without refining that one style and I think that makes it really hard to classify Cloud9 because I think when they were playing the style that made them strong, they could easily have made top four. Maybe maybe even top two? Depends. Depends yeah, uh, how I think other teams adapted. I, I, I really would have been fascinated to see, to see Cloud9 in a best of five because I, I feel like they would have had a a chance to at least play a close series against most of these teams. Uh, I don't know. Like I, I probably wouldn't have come in and predicted them to win any of them, but I think it was possible for sure. And I think it would have been really entertaining. Yeah. Uh, um, but to be yeah. clear, when they were bad, they were really bad. Yes. Like <laughs> when they were bad, they were not the top six team at this tournament. Uh, they were like eight, maybe seven or eight. Yeah. So well, I think it'll be interesting to see how they, uh, react to all that what kind of reads they take away you know i, I did uh, an episode of run it last week where i called out a certain part of their play style that i thought was uh you know showing a, a certain misunderstanding of, of what was successful I, i'm curious whether they agree with that um and, and we'll make any adjustments on it or whether they're going to double down on what they think works and how that's going to play out. and of course the meta is going to change and all of that but i think there's i think summer's going to be very interesting to watch for them for sure uh, on the Mad Lions front, you know, I, as someone who was in the Mad Lions Oregon splice before that, um, how how was it for you? Were you, were you able to just kind of like watch and cheer for them and enjoy it, or uh, you know, what was what was the experience like watching Mad Lions play at this tournament? I mean, it was a great it was a great tournament. I'm super super 
So I'm not happy with how it ended for them, but it was really great to be able to watch those guys as a fan. You know, like people like Humanoid, especially Mac. Mac I've worked with for yeah. almost four years um, before before I came to, to NA. Um, but to see people like Mac, Humanoid, Kazi, Kaiser, all of these guys finally get to have a little bit of their redemption arc afterwards uh, would have been better if they'd managed to beat uh, Dan One. Um, but, but, you know, it was a really good tournament for them. Uh, knowing those players... Personally, <laughs> it was very clear when they were running it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, let, let, let's say, let, let's not call it running it down. Let's say um, providing more entertainment for the fans, you know, yes. <laughs> for pulling out things like the, the Cogmore mid when the items are really bad for him. <laughs> uh, and doing, you know, playing on the limits uh, in games that didn't necessarily matter. Uh, you know, the Cloud9, the Cloud9 game where, where they lost, the uh, Istanbul Wild Cats game that they lost, the Pain Gaming a uh, game that they should have lost um you know the, the, you can see when they when they're when they're playing their limits you can see from their webcam and think you know, like their um, player cams and things like this like, when they're playing and it sounds a lot like excuses and things like this but i know those guys and i know when they're when they're serious and when they're not um so, <laughs> so it was a fun tournament really really happy to cheer for them uh, as fans really happy for them to get a little bit of their redemption up um at an international tournament so so yeah, looking forward to seeing them at Worlds, looking forward to seeing their, their ongoing improvement. Do you find you have that kind of personal attachment to, you know, multiple of the teams that you've worked with in the past, or is it a little bit special with Mad Lions? Oh, no, no, for sure. Like, uh, I don't think I've left any team that I've been on on bad terms. Um, I cheer for all of my teams. Uh, I cheer for all of my past teams, even over regional. Um, so, you know, I cheer, for, I cheer for Mad Lions over Cloud9, even though I'm in NA. Hmm. Uh and whenever, whenever one of my other teams, whenever one of my previous teams is involved, I'm always, I always, always cheer for them. Um, sometimes it can be a bit painful. Uh, INTZ at Worlds, when we were in the same group as INTZ, that was a, that was a bit rough, especially because we only won against INTZ, including in the tiebreaker. Um, so not only did we, did we let Europe down, we also kind of stopped Brazil getting their shot, uh, which really hurt double. Um, but but no no I'm just I'm I'm super super happy for them and I I, I was happy for them at, at uh, when they won at least C two I I don't have I don't have any of that uh, you know I I have no regrets and I'm really glad that that Mac has been able to um, to find success because he took a lot of decisions last off season that were very very high risk you know I I think some I think the fan base was reasonably okay with with the decision to drop a Rome but. But you know the decision to bring in Aluria over Shadow is something which had a lot of um, people were very very surprised to see that, and I think his his faith in Aluria has been really vindicated this split. Um, and you know you have to give acknowledgement and respect for, for Mac to yeah. to not be satisfied with where Mad were and to to push them to push them forwards. And I'm really happy for him. Yeah, for sure. And, and speaking of Shadow, there was news out this week that he's joined an LPL team now. Uh, is that formal? Yeah, has it formally been released? Or was okay, it just it's, it's rumored? Actually, I, I don't yeah, know whether it's been rumored or whether it's been announced. Okay, I don't know either, but, you know, there's not a big gap. Assuming it's true, which it may or may yep. not be, but I think it is. It uh, sounds it sounds realistic. It sounds yeah. like what I've heard. <laughs> and and how, would you, uh, how do you feel about that? Do you, are you kind of like sad to lose him to China? Or did you think that this was a reasonable outcome for him? Or? I mean, uh, it's... If the rumor is true, so I'm I'm just checking his Leapedia and they haven't updated anything there. Yeah, okay, so it's um, not but, really official yet. But. So so the rumor the rumor is LGD. 
Um, right. If it's true, I'm very, very happy for him. I mean, to be honest, we kind of knew that Shadow wasn't going to be in Europe for his entire career. I mean, his dream was to play LPL. He even took Chinese residency and you know, we didn't care. And on... Um, on Mad Lions, you know, Europe doesn't import a ton of players. Yeah. Although I will say Mad Lions imported, technically we imported, sorry, they imported Shadow last year and Armour this year. So they have more imports yeah. than, than almost anyone else in, uh, in LEC. But, you know, LEC is not an import league, so, so it doesn't matter whether he takes Chinese residency. But yeah. you know, it was always clear that this is what he wanted to do uh, with his career. Um, and I'm really happy he has the opportunity. And I'm sure he's going to do well. It's at least in Meta, no? So... Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, Shadow, Shadow is going to be, if they give him at least it, it's going to be really, really great for him. Um, <laughs> and a lot of those high mechanical ceiling champions, he's really, really good on. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I can't, I can't wait to, to see. Uh, I hope LGD do well. Um, I heard they got, the rumors also that they got Shia back, right? Yeah, I think uh, so, yeah. Okay, so, so yeah, he, he was really strong at Worlds as well. So it will be interesting to see. I don't think they go into LPL is so stacked that I don't think they're one of the favorites for for top four. But they they should definitely be making playoffs. And then who knows when you're in playoffs and anything can happen. Yeah, for sure. So looking back and all that, it's been kind of fun to recap. But it is time to close the chapter on MSI to look ahead to summer. You know, not only in the LPL but uh, in North America as well. And Evil Geniuses have uh, made a handful of different changes going into summer. So if we make kind of the list of them, and you'll have to let me know if I miss one, but uh, you promoted Danny, who was playing as Shiro from Evil Geniuses mm -hmm. Prodigies, the amateur team, into the LCS. You signed Team Luke to join your academy team. Um, and Shoryu has moved on to Evil Geniuses Prodigies from the academy team. Uh, you brought in Skytech uh, as the new support for Prodigies. Uh, and is there anything else that I'm missing? I think that's the the that's various it, moves, right? Yeah, the, the, those are the various moves. Um, I guess let's start with Shuryu first. Yeah. Uh, so Shuryu, Shuryu had some visa issues. Um, it's not performance related. Uh, we just want everyone in uh, in in LA. Uh, it's really important that we have our academy set up all there. So. Uh, uh, I'm sure he's going to do great um, in amateur. They have a little bit of, of growing pains right now because they've made two major changes to the roster, mm -hmm. but it changes the shot calling structure um, that the team has. So I think they'll find their footing, but hopefully before they play TSM Academy, uh, TSM amateur on Monday, uh, it's always nice to beat TSM. Um, <laughs> so I, I hope, I hope they, they turn it around by then. Um, but it's basically, uh, there's a group stage of, of the current amateur tournament. Um, which I'm not going to say the exact name because I don't want to embarrassingly uh, say the say the wrong part of it. Um, but uh, they're in the group stage; they need to win in order to make next next stage. Uh, and I'm I'm sure you, sure you can can do a really good job in in amateur and you know help some of those young guys develop. It's uh, it's uh, cha challengers uprising. I'm not sure which part of that frightens you, but okay. So so I knew it was <laughs> <laughs> so. It's season three of Challenges Uprising, yes. uh, and I had that in the back of my head, but like I didn't want to accidentally. Or something. Yeah, I didn't want to accidentally say something wrong, and then <laughs> <laughs> you know, Peter Dunn doesn't know the name of all of these amateur tournaments. <laughs> I, don't want to, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to insult. I got you back. Uh, but but yeah, okay. They're, 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 it's Challenges Uprising. Uh, they have a group stage. It's four teams in each group, um, and basically they've won one game and lost one game so far. Yeah. Um, it's played best of three, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Actually, maybe we can talk about that. The the new amateur format. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, well, because like, because like last split, there were all kinds of best of threes. There were certain group stages. I think there were BO one in some of the tournaments. So basically, there were there were six amateur tournaments before proving grounds, uh, and some of these teams that made deep runs in all of them <laughs> ended up yeah. playing. By the end of the spring split, they'd played like ninety or a hundred games, like actual, like meaningful games. So like, no org had gotten there, and I think Barrage got up there, like wow <laughs> that's just so intense and so one of the changes they made for summer is they pared that down a little bit so there are three three tier two tournaments and then one proving grants qualifier and then proving grants itself i think i've got that right and i mean obviously it's extremely tiring i mean there was one there was one series where um eg prodigies had to play they played the best of five which went to five games against solo fide lots of our players were east coast or or yeah. like central uh, and we finished that series at 12 at night or something like 11 and then they had to play group stage the very next day yeah uh, i think uh and you know it's hard to hard to develop too much um in those kind of circumstances although proving grounds was a bit better the tournament was a bit uh, yeah. spread out but i yeah. think this is really good for na talent development because there's a lot of catching up to do uh, so let's talk about Danny, actually, uh, since we're talking about... Uh, sure. We'll we jump to whichever about. player you want to talk about. <laughs> so so basically, the, the thing about Danny is I think that Danny is, if I had to compare him to a European player, he's the NA Kasi now. Okay. In terms of his play style, they have a lot of similarities. They like to go aggressive. They have pretty good dominant laning phase, dominant laning phase when they're, when they're in lanes that... Uh, can play really, really aggressively. Still need to learn a little bit about weak side. Uh, well, last last year's Kazi. And this year's Kazi is a lot better at it. Um, but Does Kazi play Samira? Wow. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe he doesn't. Um, but I, I suspect that I suspect that Danny won't play Samira either um, in, in LCS. Or he'll get to play it once and then he won't get to play it anymore, yeah. which is sad um but uh but i i i welcome i welcome teams to to leave out the severe against us um but but it's worth saying that you know when kazi came into uh lec he had been playing pro for three years um and he came in as a 17 year old so he, he'd been playing since he was 14 you know going and living in gaming houses I, I don't know if you're technically allowed to be a pro at 14, so like a semi-pro, you know, getting yeah. prize money. So he, he'd been playing in the Spanish League, he'd been playing in Germany, you know, he 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 lived away from home for, for large periods of time and had interacted with a lot of people in serious competition and had done well at serious competition. In NA, you didn't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's worth saying uh, that uh, Danny is somebody who's been playing League for... 11 years now well he's in his 11th year he's been playing league of legends since he was six years old i would um, i think i'm pretty sure i was in the twitch chat where you first learned that <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> and this is a player who's been playing um he's been playing since he was six years old he's been near the top of solo queue he has 10 different accounts here he literally has 10 accounts in diamond one plus uh i think he's let five of those decay so that he can play duo but he has like five accounts in Grandmaster or higher. I'm not going to say what those accounts are. Uh, and if this was in Europe, this guy would have been, he would have been playing in EOLs for four years by now. Uh, but in North America, he hasn't had that opportunity. Um, and I think one of the big things 
that made you know even me underrate him as a player coming in is that I just we didn't have the tape of him because there was just no I mean I had his solo queue votes but people can always look great in solo queue you know if yeah. if you just play your champions all the time and obviously he had some he had some strong performance on on Zenith which then became EG Prodigies yeah. but you know the the data there was limited as well whereas when I was looking at Carsey, I had so many years so many like hundred at least a hundred hundred and fifty games of data yeah um with with uh with danny uh, I, I didn't have that data um and in a sense playing so many games in proving grounds um proving grounds and amateur circuit really helped me get a better assessment of his real level um and uh basically the the eg uh, lcs staff uh, and kelsey moza whose position is not linked to lcs it's head of player Collegiate and player development. I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure she'll, she'll, she'll correct me in the chat if she's there. Um, but, but we have a lot of, a lot of um, staff in the LCS looking, watching amateur, watching academy all the time. Um, and I was very impressed with, with what I saw um, when I was watching him, watching him play. One of the reasons that I was helping out um, amateur and academy so much doing proving grounds is I want to have a, have a look at our players, right? That we have in, in the lower teams. And there's, to be clear, EG's policy with our academy and amateur team is to develop players for EG, right? It's a selfish mm -hmm. system. It's, yeah. we, we want to turn these guys into players who can play for EG in the future. Um, and uh, yeah, what I saw with Danny is, was very, very impressive. He is still very, very raw. You know, nobody comes in with half a split, but one and a half splits because you, yeah. count, you can count what happened in winter, winter 2020. Nobody comes in with, with that much experience in and is flawless in every part of his game. Uh, and he's going to have to learn a lot of things. Um, but from what I've seen in scrim so far, um, it's been very encouraging. Uh, at the LCS level, it doesn't look like, he doesn't look like a fish out of water. He looks like he will, he will, um, he will adapt pretty well. Uh, and um, let's see how the season goes. His yeah. style of play is very, very high risk. So it could, you know, the first game could be a could be a zero six game, or it could be a twelve one game, right? Who, who knows? Uh, and that's that's part of the excitement. Yeah. Um, I think so. it's it's interesting to to think about the fact that like with that kind of aggressive play style and like a high high individual skill expression kind of thing. Uh, scrims strike me as the kind of place where you would get a very good look at that kind of a player and the jump from scrims into stage might be a transition that is a little more difficult um, but uh, you know and I, I think that's probably one of the benefits of summer being a triple round robin and carrying your record from spring is you can really afford to you know <laughs> lose out the first round robin and still be just fine for playoffs plus eight teams getting into the playoffs all of that so like uh, you know I think all of that stage experience is going to be really really important for a player like him uh, coming yeah. in, I uh, imagine. I mean, it's worth saying as well that if this, if the if Riot were using last year's amateur amateur system, amateur proving like it was amateur academy system, yeah. Danny's not in LCS, right? Like, I mean, uh, it, like we just don't have the we don't have the tape, we don't have the uh, the 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 experience of playing against higher competition. The fact that he was able to play against academy level bot lanes, some of which are yeah. pretty strong, and hold yeah. his own, you know, that's a big big factor in it as well. Um, it's not. So, I mean, in a sense, it shows that Riot's system, uh, where they want to promote young North American talent, is kind of already working. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, looking forward to him making the step up. All I say is, if there are any EG fans watching or listening, give him some time. It will take a little bit of time, um, but, but the, uh, the potential is there.
and yeah. the hand the hands are definitely there he has let's, he has let's fantastic not, let's not see the situation where he gets promoted and we say the system's working and it and it does have talent after all and then six weeks later we're saying and has no talent anymore because he's lost some games you know like let's, yes. let's not <laughs> we can do better uh, it's it's worth saying that the the really interesting thing about danny though was we had him in the roster and there were lots of players in the main team who'd seen him and wanted to play with him and this is this is you know in even in europe one of the difficult things I, i've always found is that with experienced players you tell them oh you know we have this really superstar rookie or or you know i've seen this guy in in the arls and they they don't want to take the risk yeah. uh, and this was not i mean this is a guy that play i don't want to call out individual names uh, but this is a guy that people on the main roster knew about were really excited to play with and um yeah i, I i've just been really grateful for the buy-in that we've had uh, from the other players on the, on the main team so uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll find a way to make it work what i would say though is it does make eg even more aggressive and dare i say <laughs> coin flippy because coin flippy is linked to aggression uh which means if you thought eg games were wild in spring oh they're going to I, i'm gonna have gray hair by the end of summer um but but they will be fun to watch they will be fun to watch that's i'm here I, for that's it it will be fun <laughs> Uh, speaking of the rest of the team, you know, how do you think uh, Danny coming in and the style he plays is going to affect the way you play with the rest of the team? Like, are we still going to be seeing a lot of impact on Renekton and and playing for the you know top top as the strong side and those kinds of setups, or is it going to shift? Is it going to give you any different kind of diversity in how you play? I mean, we're not going to see any impact on Renekton. Like, he's bad every single game against EG. I, I mean, like. <laughs> I mean, if they want to give us Renekton, we'll pick the Renekton, but we're not going to get to play Renekton. It's a real tragedy. Uh, but sure, if if we get Renekton or, or you know, Jace or things like that, you know, Impact's always historically been a, a fantastic Jace. Um, I mean, I could see situations where we're playing where we're playing strong side, um, but I think the big thing that having Danny in the team will do is it will unleash Igna. Um You know, Igna is somebody who's historically always done well with aggressive AD carries. He was at his best play with Han Summer. Uh, and uh, in in Europe, uh, not bad with upset, but at his best with Hans Summer, and they would yeah. just go in all the time and flip everything. What were the uh, what think... were the classic picks he brought out uh, playing against like SKT and stuff like that? Was that Pantheon support or was that someone else? No, it's Leon, Leona was the was the really oh the the were, Hail of Blades yeah. Leona. That's what it was. Hail of Blades Leona. Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so so that's the kind of style that Ignar really likes to play, uh, and I think we'll see. The big so obviously it's a big deal having Danny move move to the main team, but the big thing change you'll see I think is in the the way that Ignar is able to play the game now, uh, and this is one of the big things that we had in mind because I I mean we could always have chosen to promote Danny in 2022, um, but one of the reasons we're choosing to promote him now is because of not just because of himself as a player and his own development, but also uh, for what he will allow the rest of our team to do. Um, yeah, because I, I felt that Igna was maybe a bit restricted in his options uh, in Swing Split, and that kind of hurt us as a team. Yeah, I'm being, I'm being corrected in the chat that this was that Leona stuff was before Halo Blades existed, and it was Fervor of Battle. Oh, Fervor so, of Battle. So this is <laughs> this is important. This show is all about being correct. Uh, so here we are. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking to the idea of of promoting Danny now rather than waiting for 2022. So my understanding of the contract situation, and I don't know how much you're where the ins and outs of this but is that an amateur contract isn't allowed to be carried over year to year so is that a scenario where you guys thought about the fact that hey there's a roster movement deadline we'd have to promote him before then or is it just hey 
we we have a great relationship and he's going to sign with us anyways even if technically he's a free agent like do you think about that kind of stuff or do you leave that to other people in the org to worry about uh, i mean honestly it's not it's not my job uh to to think about that it's andrew who's our gm and greg who is uh mm-hmm. or or uh and um uh, andrew's andrew's boss uh but we we for me um i think that the environment we provide in eg uh is something that will encourage players to stay on here in the long term mm-hmm. um we give a lot of attention to people in amateur and people in academy um and this isn't just the case of you know here's here's the vod library of the of the main team you can just uh you just study watch this vod library yeah go and study it and see what you can learn no it's close one-to-one attention close um feedback um making you know you can get one-to-ones with people whenever you want pretty much it's you're, you're only limited uh in how much you can learn by the amount of effort you're willing to put in uh and effort also means going and asking people on discord to give you a one-to-one on on a certain <laughs> on a certain topic um and sure you know if somebody wants to come and offer one of our players an lcs spot uh, at the end of their contracts and we don't have room uh on the lcs team for that player you know good, good luck in your in your career but i i feel that if than what EG have to offer if people are kind of at the same level. So it's, you know, going amateur to amateur or academy to academy. I, I think that, that we have a lot to offer compared to some of the other LCS teams. Uh, like we really, really care about the roster and we really want to develop our players uh, so that they can be a part of EG. And hopefully uh, we think that those players can be a part of, who can also buy into this vision and, and want to be a part of EG long term. Um, so, so yeah. So I, I think that always... Danny's always been somebody uh, who's been on our mind as somebody we want long term. But the fact that his contract was running out at the end of this year wasn't wasn't a factor in this decision. Uh, it's this, purely there's yeah. kind of a whole, I guess, uh, topic area there of in in esports and in League of Legends the the idea of how long is your contract and you know kind of being in control of a player within your org and worrying about their contracts going to end are we going to lose them for nothing should we sell them you know you get this a lot in traditional sports especially i think north american traditional sports where you have trade deadlines and things like that and hey they're coming up on being an unrestricted free agent we better trade them at the trade deadline otherwise Mm -hmm. we'll you know at least we'll get a couple draft picks and and i think it's it's a really interesting area for league because you have some orgs that tend to approach the the kind of the the problem from that angle and it does make sense to a certain degree right like hey either we can sell this player and get some money or we can lose them for nothing right and and i think fanatic is the the most <laughs> mind example right now right like oh self-made and whippo don't plan to re-sign at the end of this year we better at least sell the contract for something um and try something else bring in adam as a as a new young player like so let's salvage the scenario best we can but that's not the only way to view the scenario the other scenario is do we need to have a contract to keep this player inside our org or what are we doing to make them want to stay here? Right. Uh, because these contracts often get broken with a year left on them anyways. And if the player doesn't want to play there, they're not going to be an effective performer. Like, I think there's a lot more of that compared to these North American traditional sports where, Hey, you belong to the team and you do your best. Otherwise you're, you know, sabotaging your own career if you don't try your best. But in esports, it's not like that, right? The players I think have a little more self-direction and power and so on. And, and I, I get pretty concerned when I see orgs treating these like contract end dates as a big looming. Like if you're, if you're afraid of the end date of the contracts of your players, Dignitas did this with Johnson too. If you're afraid of that, then you should be self-evaluating saying, why are we afraid of them walking? If they're such an important player for us, 
why do we think that we can't retain them and what do we need to do to make it so we can retain these players in the future? That, that's that's kind of the way I see it. And I think that there are some orgs that have not been, you know, not that they can always solve those problems and there's sometimes going to be players who want to walk no matter what you do. But I think that's that's the most important thing to worry about is not how to not how to game the contract system the best to give yourself the most resources, but how to make your team a place that players want to come to. Because that's that's my little ranty concern about Fnatic and what they're doing right now is if these moves work out with Whippo going to jungle and Adam coming in and so on, great. If they don't work out, I'm really concerned that Fnatic have damaged their their ability to retain and attract players long term with the way they've handled this. But I'm sure, sure. you probably don't necessarily want to comment on uh, that. But I mean, I mean, I was I was about to ask uh, when you, when you said your first sentence, is this throwing shade at Fnatic? Um, I mean, what I will say is that I, I agree to an extent with what you're saying. Um, you know, the question is, what are you offering, right? And uh, a player to, to want to be a part of your org. And that's not simply just about um, financial incentives, right? It's about what are you doing to help this player develop? What are you doing to help give this player opportunities? Um, and... Um, it's also, I think it, it can also be, you know, re removing a player early because you're worried about how soon their contract is expiring, but also sometimes about retaining a player because you're worried that giving that player up to another team may make that other team stronger. Sure, uh, and sure. even though you don't want that player for LCS, you don't want to give that player to another team because they may go into LCS, promote and beat you. Um, and I think that you see a little bit of both in North America, but... You know, whilst I believe that there is talent in North America, there is not as much talent in North America as there is in LPL and yeah. LCK and all of these other regions. And yeah. if you have teams uh, choosing to hoard talent uh, in this way, um, when they don't intend to promote them uh, into into LCS, this is not something that North America as a region can sustain. Uh, if you know, if all ten teams are holding on to to, to players in their in their academy and amateur and uh, in their amateur programs, academy and amateur programs. Mm -hmm. Then, then you're going to have a shortage of, of promising talent making its way up. Yeah. Um, and for me, uh, if I have one of my players and they have an LCS offer, and I don't think that they're going to be there in EG, uh, you know, maybe not next year, but maybe the year after, if I don't see that LCS is an option for this player, I don't want this player to sit in my academy team because I think my my main team player is better. Uh, I I trust myself to make to make the assessment, uh, and you know it's great if somebody from my academy team goes and plays in LCS because uh, it means that the next time I try to sign somebody else for that position, then they'll be like, oh wow, you know, EG didn't it didn't didn't lock me, um, yeah, and you know they gave all of these other guys who who came up the opportunity to play, uh, and I think that's that's very important. That's kind of the central part about how we see talent development in each. Yeah, I think there's, class house, yeah. yeah, I think there there are a couple of different like you can be an org that has such a strong brand and so on and had a good reputation for coaching and development that you attract the players to come there in the first place. But I think if you don't then give them the opportunity to move on when they're ready and when the situation is right, you might you know you might swing your brand a little bit the other direction. And I think. Uh, you know, I, I'm not affiliated to anyone else, so I can say that that's the, that's probably a, a bit of a cloud nine problem that they're walking themselves into right now. Um, they've done a great job of attracting all kinds of players into their org and doing very, being very successful as an academy team and so on. But if they don't let some of those players move on, 
I'm curious, you know, I haven't actually specifically heard this from any players, but I'm curious whether there are players out there who are starting to look at that and reevaluating whether they would want to play in C9 Academy or not. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens with oh. them uh, and, and whether or not that ends up sh- shifting anything. Because there are a lot of good reasons that you would still want to be in the C9 organization. So it's yeah. not like it's black and white. I mean, I think I think C9 are one of the the organizations in North America that also uh, invest a lot in their yeah. in their talent development. Um, but you know, sometimes sometimes going straight into to use a soccer analogy, going straight into Real Madrid's youth academy isn't necessarily the best way to to play for Real Madrid, right? Like, uh, there's a lot of players who 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 go into the the youth academy on a big soccer team, and then because they're because they're in that team they don't get the individual attention they need uh and it ends up damaging their career in the long term whereas you know sometimes you see players go to to smaller academy systems and then they build up they find success uh, and then by showing how good they can be at, at like the european level or the the national level then they get then they get the opportunities later um and you know this is a this is the decision path that a lot of upcoming talent in north america needs to needs to need to think about you know it's not just mm-hmm. about joining a big org immediately it's and i consider eg also to be to be a big org. Uh, it's about finding the right fit that will help you develop and help help with your career long term yeah. uh, and uh hopefully we can position eg into uh, into a place where 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 we become like the one of one of if not the number one uh destination for for young talent to to choose mm-hmm. if they get the option yeah, and, and and I also want to be clear that I'm not trying to like just throw shade on C9 or anything like that because their approach has worked out very well for them as an LCS team, especially like that's they had Blabber working in their academy system until he was in the right situation and they were in the right situation to make him the full time starter, and that has worked out very well for them. Fudge worked up from academy and their LCS team like it has worked out very very well for them. So I think that they they would look at the way they've been running things and say it's been successful. Uh, but there I know some, some pros and cons to it. I know, I know, Tim, you're a big fan of King. Is there anything to do with King, what you're saying? Yeah, no, I mean, he's the example of... But <laughs> but see, like, from the C9 perspective, from the from the player perspective, if you're King, you're probably sitting there going, I wish I could be in the LCS right now, but I'm locked into C9 Academy. Uh, but from the Cloud9 org perspective, you might be looking at it and saying, hey, there may be a day in the future where we're ready to move on from Zven, let go of that import slot, and have King come up be a domestic player and maybe a cheaper contract and you know maybe that puts us gives us more flexibility somewhere else like as they still have him as as an asset in their org that they can feel good about so you know it's do you want what's better for the org do you want what's better for the player they're not always the same thing (laughs) for for, for, for people who who don't know tim tim that well uh who are listening to to this podcast uh tim is a huge 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 king fan uh one of (laughs) one of the biggest uh king advocates on the na server i would say right fudge and king and you know I, i'd say my list of that is pretty long um <laughs> so let, let's let's move on to some of the other things that that you guys have been looking at and making moves on uh you also brought in team luke for academy and this is a move that i think probably flew under the radar compared to some of the other things but what is it about team luke that you saw that prompted you to pick him up for academy um so we as a coaching staff um watched a lot of amateur and watched a lot of academy and certain certain people on, on my coaching staff do a lot of one-to-one work with players even that aren't part of eg uh and we have a pretty good overview 
of um of talent that's coming up in the in the amateur amateur and academy scene. Basically, in spring this this season, I sacrificed watching CB Low. I like I love Brazil. I love like Vietnam, and I sacrificed watching these regions so that I can make sure that I was watching every single collegiate match that I possibly could. Every single, definitely every single amateur game that was played that was streamed, I've watched. Even the ones where I couldn't watch live, and that's a lot. And proving it, <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. And I had to sacrifice like. A lot of things that I really, really love watching. <laughs> I mean, I really love Brazil. I had somebody ask me what I thought about Brazil's chances at MSI this year, and I couldn't give them a a, a fair answer, and that made me really, really sad. Um, uh, but I, I think we, we as an org have a really good idea of uh, of uh, some of the talents coming up, and I think we've spoken about this before. But in Europe, we always had a list, right, on on Splice Madlands, right? There's always five people on the list, uh, and you know, either your prospect number one, your prospect number two, prospect three, four, five. But the way that it was done on Spice Bad Lives is you always had the guy who was number one and you would do everything in your power to go inside that guy. And then you don't even talk to number two, three, four, five. You just go for number one and then find there's sometimes where he'll choose to go somewhere else, in which case you go number two, two, three, four, five. Uh, and Luke, I think Team Luke was was pretty much was up there. He, he's a player that's really, really impressed us. Um, I didn't even realize that he would be available as a free agent, but I think, let me just quickly check. But I, I think they'd already made decisions over over what they wanted to do with their with their new AD carry. Well, because like some, yeah, some of the background, on it, right? Some of the background yeah. was that Team Luke played for CLG Academy for a few games to fill in because of, I think it was visa, visa issues. And then he went okay. back into playing amateur, right? So... But I don't think he was, you know, there wasn't okay, a contract so, so, anymore with CLG. So, so, so I, I meant with Wildcard. I meant with Wildcard. Yeah. I, I was really surprised that he was available from Wildcard because, I mean, he was really, really good um, in the in the amateur circuit, uh, Team Luke. So, so, uh, so originally, I didn't think he would be somebody that was available. Um, so we were really surprised to see he was available. And when he when we knew he was available, he became obviously we had internal tryouts and. Um, internal tryouts and he, he he had to prove his his way but even before the tryouts when i saw that this was this was a player that that we had an that was potentially an option i i was firstly very surprised and secondly i'm very glad that he's chosen to he's chosen to come here i think he he's one of the really strong up-and-coming ad carries uh in the region he was i mean he when wildcard were good it was often basically through him um i felt i felt last split uh, and I know, I think they brought in uh, Arrow, so I can kind of understand. Yeah. Because uh, I think Arrow now has his green card. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I was, I was, very, I was very happy to, to have him. Um, uh, and yeah, uh, I, I'm sure that he can show a lot. He can show, he can show a lot uh, right now. Um, I think in terms of personality, he is definitely somebody which meshes in a bit more um, with, with the, with the amateur guys that we have um i will say uh, uh that our amateur team is is maybe uh, uh, so in, in lcs uh people will look at the performance on stage and maybe think okay this is a team that likes to, to have fun and likes to clown a lot but actually i think i think even even players like jizuke and especially impact are very very serious about the game uh they're they're, they're pretty serious and and they like to have you know some of the discussions we have in review are quite intense Academy, I think, is kind of the polar opposite. I mean, there's a lot of people who are 
<laughs> a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, like clowns uh, in the in the um, the academy team. I'm not gonna call like individual people, but we definitely have three three clowns in the academy team, and he he definitely fits in fits in in well. Uh, from what I've seen in scrim so far, um, the academy team, our academy team looks really really scary uh, coming into coming into to the season. I think maybe we hit the ground. Uh, a bit slow in in spring because we had all the visa issues with Mystiques and with Ryu, Shoryu. Um, but this season, they have a clear idea of how they want to play. They already know, they're already comfortable around each other. Uh, and Tony and Jojo already know how to play side lanes. So, so I think they've kind of, they're, they're, they've hit the ground running and Team Luke has been a big part of that. Um, I would say that his, his macro understanding of the game is, I mean, he's a bit more experienced than, than Danny, but he... He has he has a he has some some good understandings of how to play the game, and he's not uh, out of his depth, uh, which I think is is particularly impressive. And obviously, you've seen his team fighting. Like anyone who's watched any any uh, amateur this season, Wildcard were, were were at proven grounds. They were one of the top five amateur teams, and he was by far the star player. Him and Dapshin were, were both pretty good. Their bot lane was was very yeah. impressive. Yeah, for sure. And I and I always felt Wildcard was one was. Always one of the better prepared and coached looking teams from as far as you can tell from the outside. Uh, yeah, yeah. in amateur. That they they had plans, they knew who they were playing against and what you know, the, how to how to work against the teams they were playing against. So I always give them a lot of credit for that as well. Uh what have you seen in, in terms of the growth of some of the other players in your in your academy team? And I think, you know, the the name that, that a lot of people end up looking at and wanting to hear more about and that I tend to promote a lot is Jojo Pian. Um how have you felt about the growth of, of him, but also Tony and, and, and the rest of them um, from spring? Uh, you, you know, you mentioned their ability to play side lanes, things like that. Are they working on and kind of the on a good trajectory that that you're pretty happy with? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think they are. Um, they're, they're doing well. Um, I, I mean, I, I would say that I've been very impressed with with Tony's improvement in spring. Uh, I I can't claim any credit for this. This is. This is uh, a lot down to Kelsey Moser and her one-to-one work with him. Um, they, they've been doing, you know, one-to-ones at least once a week, sometimes even twice, three times a week, uh, just making sure that he's comfortable playing side lanes in the right situation. Uh, obviously, uh, our academy team is a very aggressive team, but we're not. they're not a team that really wins through team fighting. They're a team that wins through rotating and forcing skirmishes with numbers advantages. Uh, and... I think if you want to play that style, it's very, very hard to play that style, even at LCS level, um, let alone at academy level. Um, and I've been very impressed with Tony's improvement in in this area. Um, and to be honest, when he joined when he joined EG, he basically had no clue about what a side lane was. Yeah, um, I was going to now... say like like when I when I watched him in you know back in the off season when scouting grounds and all the scouting grounds prep I did, and there were some different like. Um, kind of tryouts, public tryouts set up or semi-public tryouts, and I watched a lot of that. And my main takeaway from Tony Top was, hey, he's got hands. Uh, he he knows how to like win trades really well and, and lane really hard, but he doesn't know when to follow a wave. He doesn't know when to back off a wave. He doesn't know when to group, you know, and he just didn't have that. So, you know, that was my impression of him six months ago, right? Yep. Um, and yeah, so I've been very impressed with his improvement. Um, with JoJo, uh, I would say the thing that I like most about Jojo is that he's never satisfied. So hmm. uh, to give an example from this, he got rank one recently. Uh, EG maybe internally uh, 
put pressure on him <laughs> maybe to, to, to tweet that he made rank one. But, you know, I, I went to say congratulations on making rank one. And he just said, you know, uh, it, it wasn't something really that, that, that deserved congratulations. You know, sure, he was happy to make rank one. But his goal isn't to be uh, isn't to be just somebody who's very strong in academy, somebody who's very uh, strong in North America. He's really serious about pushing himself as far as he can be. And when we scrimmed against or when he's played against LCS mid laners and done well, it's never enough. It's not, oh, wow, this guy's in LCS and I outlaned him and, hmm. and kind of smashed him in lane. It's, it's a case of, okay, uh, so I'm, this, is a, this is where I am now, but I've still got so, so, so much more to go. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that you have to be really careful uh, with a player like this, uh, not, not to overhype. Uh, over I think Jojo is somebody who obviously has bags of talent. He obviously has really good hands. He obviously understands how to play the game. He has a large role in our shot calling. Um, but, uh, you know, this is, this is somebody who spends a lot of time studying other people and his goal is to be somebody who can be, um, who, who, who wants to push himself as far as he can. And he's not after plaudits. Uh, he's after improvement. And this is something I admire about him a lot. Um, I think it, it gives him a huge amount of potential because his driving force is not recognition. His driving force is perfection of his craft. Um, but I also, I also asked that obviously he, he, he's, he's developing at a good pace right now, but you know, give him some space. Uh, I, I'm sure that I'm sure that lots of people recognize what, what he wants to do, uh, and how he's developing, but he, he needs some time still. You know, he he looks good in he looks good in academy and amateur, uh, but that's because uh, he does have weaknesses in his game, and those are things that players are just not able to punish uh, at this level. Um, so, and those are things that he has to continue to work on improving. You know, it's not enough to just win your lane; you have to win the game yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, with your with your two zero advantage, and that's something he's got to continue to work on. So, I've been happy with the development of both. They both have a long way to go, um, but. Uh, from what I've seen coming into so far in scrims, coming into summer, they they didn't forget anything in the break, uh, which is a huge huge relief. Yeah. <laughs> because often at academy level, they forget half of the stuff, and you have to go and teach them again from scratch. Yeah. So. You go back to school in September, and you can't remember what you learned in the, back in the <laughs> last semester. Yeah, that kind of thing. And and of course, you you guys have so much experience in your academy jungle position so you know that's that i'm sure that's helpful for the solo lanes and how to play as well um you know to to, to wrap off some of this this stuff you know how much just because it's been an interesting topic lately and um you know the the idea of playing in houses in the tournament realm and stuff like that i i know i have seen some of your players participate in the ones that core jj was putting on and streaming and so on i think jojo was in some of those um i can't remember specifically whether others were uh, how valuable do you think that kind of thing is for for player development? And, and you know, have you encouraged your players to try to get involved in those? Um. So, uh, to be honest, I don't really know much about what the drama was about in houses. I saw, I, I mean, I, I saw Bjergsen do a tweet responding to another one that was deleted, but that's all I really know. So I, I don't know what it's I mean, about. Drama aside. Who, yeah, drama is drama, but just the, the, the concept in general of being able to play on tournament realm with comms and stuff with other okay. pro or aspiring pro players, like, so, do you find that valuable? 
So I, I think it is valuable. Um, but what I would say is that I think that the most valuable thing is, it, like, it, it, I, I think called JJ, the amount of work, I'm, I'm not too sure how much I'm supposed to talk up people in other orgs, but the <laughs> amount of work that Core JJ has done to promote young talent in North America is unsurpassed. Uh, maybe Kel maybe Kelsey, maybe Kelsey was, but like, but doing his in houses, inviting people, you know, being sure to recognize, recognize, recognize upcoming talent, give them a spotlight. You know, even he was co-streaming some of the uh Abington, That's right. uh, proving grounds uh again yeah proving grounds thing bringing his fan base and showing them look here is some na talent it, like recognize these guys uh is very is very oppressive and appreciated uh uh from from and should be appreciated and should mm -hmm. be acknowledged and should be appreciated uh and for me um the in-houses that he does are like the big thing, like being invited to, to play in a core JJ in-house. If one of my players said, said that they had that opportunity, that's something a, you should be congratulated for, for being invited <laughs> uh, and B, you should always do it. Um, in terms of the, uh, playing on tournament realm and things like this, the question is, what is the point of your practice? Um, and different people play solo queue for different reasons. You know, some people play to climb as high as they can. Some people play to limit test, you know, caps can climb to number one in solo queue when he wants, but normally stays around 800 LP, uh, 800 to 1000 LP, uh, uh, because he's testing his limits a lot and, uh, often running it down, uh, in, in EU solo queue. Um, but. If somebody like that is playing in an in-house and the other guys are playing to try to improve and learn on their macro side, then mm -hmm. you're going to have a problem, right? Uh, and I don't think that it's that there are not 10 people at once that want to play, um, to play solo queue. It's just that the to play the in, you know, the mm -hmm. tournament realm in-houses, it's that those players, firstly, you have to justify the, the annoyance of, of, of playing in that kind of environment, right? Because you have to be more, it's less restful, right? Uh, but also your goals for your practice may be very different to goals from another person on that team. And also sometimes somebody who's playing in one of those in-houses, their goal may be to learn as much macro as possible. And you may have that understanding that they don't have. Uh, and maybe you don't want to give that information up. Uh, yeah. But I think I think the main issue with the in-houses has been that firstly, there's not enough players of a high enough level, um, but I think that's improving. Uh, especially from last spring, and it will continue to improve, improve as amateur and academy get more exposure. Um, but uh, I think that um, the, the main problem has been people wanting to use solo queue and in-houses for, for different reasons and those goals being incompatible. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just listening to the comms and some of those, sometimes people are trying out picks they haven't played before, trying to learn Rumble Jungle or things like that. Like they're done with some games from Contracts and Armeo and so on. Or like, okay, they haven't really played much Rumble before. You can tell they're just trying to figure it out, right? And so you can't um, fault them for that. But if somebody else is, you know, not there to experiment and learn, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle for sure. Uh, and, and I think, you know, CoreJJ running those has definitely been valuable for promoting and, and giving opportunity to some other players but he's also you know clearly given preference to people in the tl organization which is not a criticism of him just saying you know sure. him getting our mayo and jenkins and and so on in in there um you know i, I think it, that gives you a reason to look at and say core isn't the only one who can do this 
you know, we can do similar kinds of things with our players and, and it just takes a lot of uh, investment and, and effort to, to set it up, but there's a lot of benefit there if, if you can make it work for sure. Of course, of course. Uh, so let's, let's wrap things up with some, some questions from listeners here. Um, and, and it's generally possible to uh, submit questions in advance. I post those on Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash Elixir if you want to post questions there when, when I kind of announce the week's guest or live in the Twitch chat while we're doing it. So we have a question from uh, MasterNamer123 who, who wants to know what you think about uh, the necessity of coaches learning different coaching styles because, uh, you know, different styles of coaching are going to work for different personalities. Um, do you think that's something where there are set styles that and opportunities to learn them or coaches, you know, is this coaching even that developed in league? Um, like was, was the, is coaching that developed in league? That's, that's my, that's or? my add I mean, on. The I mean, question is, what do you think about the necessity of learning sure. new coaching styles? I, I think coaching, uh, should be treated in learning coaching should be treated in exactly the same way as, uh, learning how to play, right? Um, learn your, learn your specific primary style, work out what you're good at, specialize until you reach the point where you have some amount of um, uh, competency, like high level competency uh, uh, in, a, in a particular area and then diversify. Um, but just like, I don't think you can be a top, a top player without knowing how to play weak side. Uh, although players like Marion have sometimes uh, proving me wrong on that on that front um but that's not really think... fair though because when when you're, when you're marin and you've got the teammates you have yeah they're gonna make sure. you succeed <laughs> sure for sure but uh, i mean uh, you know the exception proves the rule uh, in the same way that that uh, i think that applies to coaching right when you're trying to learn as a coach find what you're strong at work out what you're strong at specialize in that area but recognize and that will allow you to contribute right like if you're joining a new organization and you don't have specialization right? Because you've tried to spread yourself too thin. You can't contribute immediately, right? When you join, even like an amateur team or an, an especially academy or LCS, you are not going to have a skill set to be able to contribute everywhere at once, right? Especially if you're a new coach coming in. Uh, this is this is just how it is. It's a natural progression of you stepping up to a higher level, right? Doesn't mean you can't learn, but if you want to contribute immediately, you must have specialization, right? Once you then have your speciali specialization and you, you've worked really hard in that area. Uh, and, you know, may maybe you, you want to be a mediator type coach, right? And you, you look at, you, you have great, you, you've read a lot in uh, conflict resolution or um, leadership or that kind of thing. Um, then, then diversify into another area, but don't try to do it all at once. But I do think that all coaches should be able to coach in three or four different styles. Um, but even for me, like I have a primary style that I like to coach. Uh, and I have two or three different styles, additional styles that I use in one-to-ones, but there are a certain type of player that I am pretty bad at coaching. I tend to coach, the, the players that I tend to do best at coaching are the ones that I'm, how do you say, maybe a little bit toxic. Um, I, I, tend to do, I tend to do really well coaching those guys. Um, uh, but, you know, that's my responsibility as a head coach is make sure that I have people in my coaching staff who can help out with the with the with the with the players that I'm not best equipped to to work with, but I do think so. In answer to the question, yes, you do have to, but don't start in that area, right? Yeah, and, Diversify and, later. 
and maybe just as a, as a, as a really brief follow up on that, some of the different styles of coaching that you might fall into. So you mentioned like being a mediator. So being good at helping the team members communicate with one another and, and come to consensus together, there could be more of, I guess, an authoritative coaching style where you're, you are saying, Hey, follow me. This is how we're going to play. This is yep. what I'm asking you to do. And you mm-hmm. know, you get on board might be more of an authoritative style. Um, yep. Are there any other like quick ones you can name drop out there without getting into details too much? I mean, you you can you can have a you can have a uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's spelled laissez faire, but I think it's less fair. Laissez faire, uh, yeah. Uh, French person in so, fix it. <laughs> just relaxed, uh, right? Like relaxed and easygoing. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, keep the tone light. Yeah, uh, there's also there's mediator style. Like, there's so many different styles that uh, that you can go into. Find your but own. what I will. What I will say, though, is that as a coach, one of the things that people tend to overrate is how much in-game knowledge you need to have. Um, mm-hmm. You need to have somebody in your staff or multiple people in your staff that have good in-game knowledge. Uh, and as a coach, you should always strive to improve your in-game knowledge as much as you possibly can. Um, but it's not a necessity at the start. Um, the problem is that if you have big weaknesses in your coaching, uh, coaching skill set, the people that you could work with or the coaching staffs that you can fit into are are different, right? You're limited. It's just like if you have a mid-jungle uh, and your mid laner doesn't communicate a lot, he can only play with a jungler that communicates a lot. Um, so uh, so maybe something like Broxa is a good example, right? Like Broxa plays, has played historically really, really well with mid laners who um, communicate a lot uh, and provide him, provide him structure. Uh, and tends to play really defensively when he doesn't have those players. In the same way as if you're a coach, try to diversify your skill set because that will allow you to fit into more more areas. And always have a baseline of in-game knowledge, right? Like well, when I say when I say you don't need in-game knowledge, like you can't be like a goal level knowledge, right? Like you need to have you you need to have good knowledge, right? But you don't have to have the best in the entire world, provided you can understand what teams are what other teams are doing, and be able to break it down to your players in a way that they can understand. So what I'm hearing is if you can't reach Diamond 1, you shouldn't be an LCS coach? Or... Just a little will, troll for you there for the group of the I, audience I mean, that appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, think that, I think that all players, all, all coaches that can't make at least silver should be, should be fired instantly. <laughs> uh, J663Beast mentioned that, that you used to watch VCS and is just wondering if you've watched any of the unofficial English casts or do you, do you still follow VCS at all or is that one of the ones you had to drop? Okay, so um, to be clear, last spring split, I didn't watch many emerging regions. I have to learn North America. I, I need to know who everyone is in North America. I've, I've been trying really hard uh, to do that. Uh, most of my spare time is spent watching NA Amateur, um, which maybe has meant that I missed out on a few things. I missed out on Senna Heimerdinger in LCK uh, <laughs> because I was spending so much time watching NA Amateur, which made me really sad because we could definitely have played that in uh, in playoffs against TSM. But anyway, um, the the... I did watch VCS a lot last year. Um, VCS always have a very unique... VCS is what people that don't watch LPL think LPL is. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's yeah. how I would describe VCS. Uh, well, it, it, the game's always really fun. They're always very, very chaotic. It's often pretty hard to predict um, who will win. Um, the other thing that I've noticed... Uh, so... I've watched a lot of Vietnam back when I was in Brazil, uh, especially so 2016, 2017. I would say that I, because the, the, you always had a team from Vietnam uh, who would um, 
who would go to the international wildcard events and you, who you had to know in depth, right? So a lot of the older pros in, in Vietnam are players that I know well, people like Celebrity, people like uh, G4, uh just trying to like i i can just name a list of vietnamese pros but like those kind of guys i know a lot about their play style because i've watched tens tens of their games if not hundred of their games like just preparing for those kind of tournaments um a lot of the new guys who are coming up uh, i don't i don't know that well the thing that i will say about vietnam is it leads um is that players tend to come up and then flame out really really quickly um uh, good example of this is uh, a player uh, who I'm, I don't know how, um, maybe some of your international viewers would know, uh, called Xeros, uh, who was all the hype, um, but flamed out kind of in two years. Uh, and I think that's, that suggests to me, and he's not the only one, and it suggests to me that they have some infrastructure issues in Vietnam that leads to this happening repeatedly over and over again. And I don't know what the issue is, but you know, if a player like Evie can stay at the top and continue to improve even to the age of 25 um, with all those expectations on him. I don't see why you don't have those kind of long-term sustained careers in Vietnam. Uh, uh, so it's a shame because there's a lot of talent in Vietnam. And, mm. you know, if, if if LCS wants to expand into another emerging region and have those guys counters and they that... <laughs> Uh, Vietnam, Vietnam is the emerging region you should kind of look at. Uh, that's all I was saying. <laughs> For sure. Uh, we'll just do a couple more here. Um, Edgy Hoon wants to know uh, whether you guys have plans to uh, have roster movement between between Academy and, and LCS. Is that like a philosophy that you guys approach the split with? So generally, I'm not a massive fan of 10-man rosters because um, I think that a lot of league is about... You don't have to be the, the, the best players uh, the the best player at your position. You need to be the best player for your team at that position. Uh, so I know that Alfari it Alfari gave a, an interview like a reflections interview with Thorin where he he said that a lot of he he was really really frustrated with how people in uh, Europe were comparing him with Arobe in summer 2020 or things like this when he felt that he was just miles better. Um, but uh, it's worth saying that Alfari hasn't been to Worlds for a few years, uh, even though he's clearly the best top laner, like individually in, in Europe and now in North America. Uh, although I, we have Impact, like between him and Impact, top two. Um, but what I would say is that, you know, sometimes you can be the best player for a team and becoming the best player for a team is something that you need to learn by scrimming a lot together. Uh, and if you're, you keep making changes all the time, you're not going to be able to develop any long-term synergy. Will EG make changes? Well, I mean, we've already brought in Danny, uh, but I don't think you'll be seeing too much uh, changes between the roster. Uh, maybe there's a world where we sub in the entire Academy roster. Like, it's a 27-game, it's a nine-week season. Yeah. So I'm not going to rule out, you know, maybe, maybe we sub in the Academy guys for one week uh, if, if, things, if, you know, if the players need a rest or, or our macro is so bad that we need to have a mid-season boot camp. Uh, like, you know, we need a week where we have to work on something. I won't rule that out, but I think you won't be seeing EG making changes every single week. Um, yeah, fair enough. And and to to give credit to Edgy Hoon and take some credit away from myself, actually the question was directed a little more in that direction of bringing the entire five-man up uh, for the rest purposes rest or, or not. Oh, so, okay, okay. So okay. I'll, I you mean, know, I'll take the there, L on that one, but... There's a world where that happens. I'm not going to guarantee anything, but there is a world where that happens. 
Fair enough. Okay, and, and we'll finish off with this one from the Hoya Don. Um, do you think LCS, to paraphrase a little bit, do you think the LCS is on the right path to have a, to increase its chances of competing internationally uh, compared to now, and, and why or why not? Um, I mean, I don't think, as I said earlier at the start of this podcast, I don't think LCS are that far away. Um, I think that the... Um, I think Cloud9's issues were not that they were a significantly worse team than the other major region teams at this tournament um, because they got wins against RNG, they got wins against Damwon, they got wins against Matt. I think their main issue this tournament was that they didn't find a style of play that they were comfortable with and they also didn't deal well with individual mistakes. Uh, like you could see whenever Blabber made a, you know, if Elioria had a game where he flashed over the wall. Uh, in the finals, I think it was in the finals of uh, in the Rogue game three when Mad lands a two zero down against Rogue, and you can hear the voice comes, and he's 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 on red side, he's in enemy Raptors, and he just flashes over the wall trying to stun the mid laner and just misses him, like he's on Udia and just runs at him, and the guy just walks away and just like pings him, um, and you hear the comms, and he annoyed saying, "What are you doing?" Like what, uh, in like a joking way, and Udia is saying, "Like I, I don't know what I'm doing." In the- and just laughs in like a funny way, and then you hear Kazi and Kaiser laughing in Botley, right? Um, and um, I don't feel that that's something that was happening on Cloud9 at this tournament, just looking at their player cams. Um, so each individual, the, va- the, the you know, a, a mistake isn't just going to lose you the game, right? Uh, unless it causes you to change your play style or lose confidence in yourself, in which case, sure, every single mistake is a potential game ender. So I think, I think Cloud9... I don't think it's NA is too far behind that we can't make top four uh, at MSI. I think it's just Cloud9 had some issues and they didn't fix them in time. Um, uh, is NA on the right path long term? Um, yes, the proving grounds, the changes to the proving ground circuit are huge. They're a really, really big deal. You will see the benefits of this in 2022, 2023, probably 2023. Uh, the next few years might be a bit painful, but. The, the changes have been put in place to make sure that NA talent has a place where it can develop. Uh, and if people overreact too much to results in the short term, there are risks that things can be done that will cause long-term damage when the changes that have needed to be made have already been made. Right? Um, and people talk about viewership of Academy, viewership of Amateur. Sure, the viewership isn't that high right now, but you wait till some of those guys uh, start playing in LCS and start dominating LCS. And you will see massive increase in increase in viewership. Like as soon as the, because I think there's a lot of doubt right now that from players thinking, okay, if I climb really high in solo queue, or if I do really well in amateur, if I do really well in academy, will I be noticed? You know, will, will I get this opportunity? And if I won't, what's the point of making an effort? Uh, and I think that there has been one generation of players that has been very very let down by the North American system. You know, they're. Players like a player like Yombi, who's now 24, 25, should have had his shot a long, long time ago. Um, and the fact that Yombi is only now playing his first academy split is a problem with the system. It's a flaw in the system. He should he's been good enough for a very, very long time, but hasn't had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Some of those changes are happening now, and if you don't get your opportunity, you can go. You can go to wildcard. You can go to AOE. You can go to a new when they are unbanned, um, <laughs> and you can go and show yourself, and you can go and say notice me, mm-hmm. pay attention, I'm here, right? Uh, and this is something that, this outlet has been something that North America has lacked for a long time. The only way that you could promote yourself is through streaming. 
Uh, and then once you settle into the streaming lifestyle, sometimes, you know, maybe you don't want to go competitive anymore. Um, but I feel that we've let down a whole generation of North American talent and the, the, the fixes have already in place and we're already seeing the benefits of them, uh, uh, coming into into play right now this yeah point. so give it some time and i would, I would say much. i would say that that structurally the league is doing the right things with the proving ground circuit and broadcasting it and all of the opportunity for it and making it visible that is correct what the next phase that needs to happen is the lcs orgs taking advantage of that and actually moving these players up um i'm i'm a little bothered by the fact that five fire has has been put in a situation where he feels that the best opportunity for him is to not play amateur in summer because yep. he's he's won it three three splits in a row and not gotten his academy opportunity. I'm bothered by that. Like there are LCS orgs where it doesn't make sense to bring Five Fire up, and there are LCS orgs where it did make sense to bring him up, and it would have made you more competitive, given you a player who had a chance to improve even further yep. over summer and become an LCS potential. Yep. Level. That's not a guarantee he's going to become good enough to play an LCS. But he had a better chance of developing into an LCS player than some of the mids in academy for summer. Of course, um, of course. And um, so I just know, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I say on the five fire thing, five fire was the sub for EG, right? Like, I mean, we had Giu uh, last mm-hmm. last year, and Giu was somebody who was signed before, uh, and yeah. there were visa issues or something. And five fire was the guy that was brought in. And obviously, I think we've spoken in the past about how five fire was a guy that I was looking at for Mad Lions, you know? Uh, no, not else, Mad uh, Lions not Academy. Anything, uh, academy, Academy. Um, uh, and the fact that he can't even get an academy spot in NA is, I mean, yeah. it, it's it's crazy. And I mean, it, 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 it he's been a bit vocal about this on Twitter, but, you know, this is exactly the kind of guy that deserved his chance and didn't get his yeah. chance, right? And He was let down with... over the past two, two and a half years, not just right now, right? Yeah, uh, and, you know, I, I don't know if it's if it's too late for him. I don't think, I mean, he's still young, right? No. But, like, but, you know, but when you lose faith that the system is there to promote you or give you an opportunity, it can affect your mindset. And maybe you think, okay, this is something, why, why am I doing this? Right? Shouldn't I just go and do something else? Maybe content creation. Maybe I just go and leave esports and do something else. And who knows? Like, I mean, you've mentioned, you've mentioned Jojo Pion, right? So I'll just mention that. How many Jojo Pions have North America lost? Because they didn't, they didn't yeah. think that solo queue mattered or they didn't, take the risk in developing them or when they did develop them if they didn't develop immediately how many were thrown aside after one split right yeah. or, or one year right uh and this is a question that that we have to face as 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 north america as a region uh but all i say is that the the solutions are there yep but and now it's now it's on the orgs to do their part um, now it's on the orgs <laughs> to do their part but but this is not again there's no fast immediate solution right no. like it, it's going to take a long it's going to take time it took eu masters you know this generation of mad lions and rogue came up in eu masters is now 2021 they came up in 2019 right so it's going to take time it's not you can't expect it to be immediate it's going to be like 2022 2023 uh that we see we see the the, this new generation and let's see let's see let's see if it let's see if it 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 happens yeah i i think you know mid-season is always harder to make these moves too and and for what it's worth you know i think i think seeing what the lcs orgs do for their spring 2022 uh rosters and that that offseason is going to be a lot more telling about whether the orcs have actually paid attention to this um and and bring those guys up 
Um, but you know, I, I do think that we saw, I think there was a lot more opportunity in spring 2021, um, for orgs to bring in that talent and some of them did it. And some of them brought in, you know, um, <laughs> nothing against oceanic players, but I think some of them brought in OPL veterans, um, instead of NA young players that maybe could have been brought up. Um, that's no criticism on the players, but, but, it, but, but in fact, it's thing like some of those, some of those players are not in the league anymore, right? Uh, and I, I think I think people brought in a lot of OCE veterans without thinking what they wanted out of those guys. Yep. They brought them in because they were the top players in OCE, and that's not why you should be bringing in somebody, right? Yeah, like, that's not the uh, purpose of academy, to me. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, maybe it was for those orgs. I don't know. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's interesting that the one of the guys. So obviously, if you'd asked me who were the top OCE prospects, I would have said Isles is number one, Isles number two, uh, and Pabu is number three, and nobody picked up Pabu. Um, and now Pabu got to show it, uh, to show at um, MSI that maybe some people should have been paying attention. But it was just like, oh, this guy, how serious is this guy? He's a role swap player. And instead of thinking, wow, he's this good after one year as a jungler, people were thinking, were saying, oh, you know, he, he wasn't good enough to cut it in top lane, so he's gone to jungle, right? Which is... Yeah, uh, and, I, and to some extent, the, the orgs looked at who from Oceania went to Worlds and look at those guys yeah. first. And that's that's also like, you can understand that, but I, I don't think it shows necessarily the same level of due diligence that might've been necessary. Yeah. But. Um, no, I, I agree with that. Uh, can I just answer one one question that I saw in yeah, your chat? for sure. Um, uh, j just as a follow-up to this, somebody said, what is stopping orgs from making these, these changes? Uh, and if you ask me, nothing is stopping them. Uh, and I think that you've seen, you know, Sure, 100 Thieves and EG uh, and Cloud9, who are the three orgs you would see for picking up talent from, from Amateur, had their Amateur teams in place at the start of this year. Um, but um, you're seeing, I mean, TSM uh, are doing it now. Are TL? TSM and Dignitas have yeah. definitely done it. Do TL have Amateur? TL don't have an Amateur team, no. Okay, TL don't have Amateur. Okay, but you know, you see Dignitas and TSM expanding there. You're seeing a lot of other orgs other worlds do it and sure just because you're late to the playing field playing uh yeah you're late to playing doesn't mean that you can't make good innovations in the space uh, and i think it should be applauded sometimes if you recognize you have an issue and you try to go and fix it um but again uh there has to be an understanding that this talent does exist right uh yeah. and if you're doing it just for for clicks and views and things like this, then yeah. then it will become very very obvious in the long term because you won't be promoting any of your players and you'll yeah. just be um, you'll just be cycling around people who have big names in in Avatar. And uh, I think it's I an, it, it's entirely fair for LCS orgs to say we don't feel we have the coaching staff in place right now. We think we have bigger problems to solve at the academy level, whatever it is, and not to an amateur team. I think that's fine. I think um, one of the orgs that I think is doing an approach kind of like that is FlyQuest, where um, uh, Loyota, who does a lot of their academy scouting and, and, and so on work, he watches a ton of amateur and he's, and he's yeah. doing content sure. around it. And you can tell they may not have an amateur team, but they're paying very close attention to amateur. And I think that's fine too. That approach can work. Yep. Um, I think the amateur as well uh, is something that should be used for developing coaches and testing coaches as well. Yep. Uh, I, I will say that. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to give too much away because uh, I don't want to give too many orgs uh, advice. Uh, but definitely, you can. There are ways that you can find space in amateur to develop coaching staff which you think have potential. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll leave it there. <laughs> definitely.
Well, we have run nice and long and it's been great and, and that's good, but I think we should uh, wrap this up and I really appreciate you joining me on the show and sharing all your thoughts, Peter. Uh, is there anything particular you'd like to shout out your social media, any, any EG programs, things like that? No, just a shout out, shout out EG, uh, shout out the EG fans. We really, really appreciate everything you did for us last split, even when there were some of the rougher, rougher, rougher times during the, the, the year. Uh, just want to say, um, thank you. Uh, also, uh, acknowledging a lot of the work that people like you, Tim, and Cubby, who's in the chat, and others uh, have done in promoting uh, Amateur and Academy uh, and Collegiate uh, this this year. I mean, a lot of those guys who are who are stars in that league right now will be the great new hope for LCS in two years, uh, and uh, giving them that additional exposure helps them get to that level. So, just appreciate the work that you guys are, that you guys are doing. Uh, and yeah, thank you for having me on. Am I your your second repeat guest? Mm, I'm not sure. I'd have to look back and count. Probably third or fourth. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but you are a repeat uh, guest, which not everybody gets to be. So <laughs> good to well, have you on again. You. Thank you very much for having me, Tim. Uh, and thank you to everyone for listening. You can support the True Sight Podcast at patreon.com slash oracleselixir. Uh, you can subscribe to the show on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and as well as anchor.fm slash truesight. And make sure you check out the Oracle's Elixir Discord server to talk about League of Legends esports, data science, and other topics, including, you know, yesterday a rather long rant I put out on the subject of literary criticism of The Last Jedi. Uh, and so you can get links for all those in the show notes and, and make sure you check those out. This has been the True Sight Podcast, and I'm Tim Sevenhusen. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.